Hi, Ray. How's it going? Oh, I'm doing wonderful. Thank you. Welcome to COVID Lawcast. Today, we're talking with Ray Flores, who's a health freedom rights attorney. He has an interest in natural living from the 1980s when he began working in the natural foods industry. And he's done several things along those lines, but that certainly led to his knowledge about the area we're facing with the COVID mandates. And he has actually given his time to also help Children's Health Defense on the issues with COVID mandates. And Ray, you've had an interesting role here, and I certainly appreciate what you've uh, been doing for the attorneys around the country, because one of the things I get from you almost every couple of days, I think, maybe more often, is simply an update in terms of what's going on you know, with litigation around the country. And it's hard for all of us to keep up with that the way you do. And we certainly appreciate that. I know I saw a Houston Methodist Hospital case came through recently, but yet would you explain yourself? I know I gave a brief introduction, what you've done, how you came to this and what you're doing now. Growing up in the seventies, I was always interested in ecology and nature. I was a geography major which is basically natural science, not geology, geography, and also human interactions with the planet. And it taught me quite a bit of that any adjustments you make to the earth have reactions and repercussions, like putting a dam on a river, like at Lake Mead, and all of a sudden you have 800,000 acre feet a year evaporating off the lake, which is enough to you know, provide water for two households per year. That also causes more erosion downstream and only cold water comes through. The fish and wildlife don't come through the dam. So those type of things made me understand deeply that the earth is, is a perfect system and it adjusts. And then I got into the natural foods business in 86 when I started really focusing on trying to not only work on my own health, but then also work in the industry because it was a growing industry. Everybody told me I was nuts at the time. And now look at it. And, you know, I realized back then that health is wealth. And I realized too that everything that I had learned in the natural sciences also applied to our own physical health. And so whatever adjustments you make artificially or otherwise also will have repercussions much like the Lake Mead Dam that is quickly turning into a dead pool because all of a sudden now everybody's draining all the water out of it or it's evaporating out. And so it's very similar, very much akin to everything that I've learned in natural living, in natural lifestyles, and everything that I've aspired to on my own personal level. And so it lent itself to understanding that allopathic medicine, as it's known, or medicine that is not natural, not herbal, not naturally derived in most cases, is poisonous and trains your body to want more of the medicine and not trains your body to get stronger, as Eastern medicine tries to do. So then back in 2009, my daughter was born here in California. Uh, we have all kinds of vaccine mandates and all kinds of, you know, there's no religious exemption, there's no personal choice exemption, and all of a sudden you have to become vaccinated with 37 doses of vaccines just to attend school, and everybody's jumping up and down saying, oh my goodness, they have organic food now in the salad bar and vegetarian options, isn't that wonderful? 
And then all of a sudden, yeah, but don't you realize you had to give, you know, shoot them up 37 times or what 37 doses in order to be able to eat that salad. So that didn't make any sense to me. And then in 2014, I got pulled into a case where a child, two infants were, uh, were taken to the doctor and one of them had a, a seizure after Prevnar 13 uh, injection. And the, the father, through, tra- through a very poor translator, admitted to shaking the baby. So they uh, take the children from the mother and, uh, and then she can only visit, you know, an hour and a half a day on a supervised visit. She's living in a hotel, she's a foreigner. And it was a living hell. And I realized that it was obviously the Prevnar 13 vaccine. And of course, nobody in dependency court would hear of it. They thought I was uh, nuts. Even even co-counsel thought I was wrong about it. And then, so starting in 2015, I began to become active and more active in speaking out against and becoming aware of the constitutional rights that we have against vaccinations and in our in our own right to bodily integrity and so so then fast forward to about three years ago i hooked up with attorney greg glazer who was in the process of suing the president under a national security you know concept that uh that vaccines are are killing the health and destroying the health of the nation and we need to have a control group in order to determine whether or not uh the vaccines are the cause since unvaccinated are demonstrably healthier than the vaccinated. So then that case is now in front of the Supreme Court Court on certiorari. Uh, who knows if they're going to take it. Uh, we've applied for a writ. We'll see what happens. It's a popular issue now, but it, we were ahead of our time when we, fi- when we filed. And of course, it's been getting shot down left and right. Then we went... Uh, Another attorney and I, Rick Jaffe, worked on the UC flu shot mandate case. And through them, then that's when I became affiliated with Children's Health Defense. I'm now senior counsel with them, but I'm still an independent lawyer who, uh, who is you know, senior counsel to them. And I'm involved in almost all the litigation that they bring uh, nationwide. What's the uh, caption of the case that's at the U.S. Supreme Court right it's, now? It's Garner v. Uh, Biden. 211511. Well, and that's so important. We know that in the COVID shots that they have destroyed basically the control groups there. And it's so important to have a control group to understand whether or not there's any efficacy to this or whether there's any overall benefit. And I think we're starting to see with COVID that We've got negative efficacy in many age groups, and you're certainly aware of the insurance companies reporting an increased death rate for working age Americans. What do you think of that? Well, I mean, you know, you got to hit them in the pocketbook, number one, for anybody to care or to take note or to be honest. Number two, I think I got to give credit to Mr. Glazer for being ahead of his time since the control group is... uh, is really the issue of the moment. And I, Mr. Kennedy and Dr. Brian Hooker are, are going to be releasing a book this fall on vax versus unvax, citing the studies that show that unvaccinated children are much healthier than their vaccinated counterparts. You know, I happen to be in Ohio, so we have the Amish, which are resistant to a lot of the medical interventions. So we have a, a population that really provides for a control group right here in the state. 
And this in this crisis, it's been very interesting because they simply uh, got COVID and recovered from COVID and uh, it kind of went away. The crisis was basically back in 2020 for their community. They didn't get that sick. They had some, some deaths. But as soon as the community was immunized by having been exposed to the virus, they were done with the virus. So it's very interesting to watch that. And the counties that they live in have vax rates of about 18%, not even close to the 50, 60% of the rest of the state. We know the vax rates in the eastern coast and western coast are much higher than that even. We have kind of a control group and control group counties in Ohio. So it's been interesting to watch the statistics. Yes, it is. And now they're trying to find new ways to show that, well, they really do have some type of autism. It's just not been able to be diagnosed. And I mean, they come up with a million excuses for everything that proves that they're, they're dead wrong. And um, people buy it, which is shocking to me. The level of stupidity of the American population has been a real shocker and the unwillingness to fight and stand up. I mean, I always wondered how in World War II, France caved in in nine days without a fight, you know. Now mm -hmm. I'd be surprised if America even lasted nine days at this rate, you know, or who would we follow? Where is the courage? Where are the people willing to stand up? And, and I think it's becoming more and more obvious what the media enemies are and what the pharma and money enemies are. And even, even the political enemies to our health are rearing their ugly heads and people are becoming, they're getting wind of it and they're not really catching on in mass the way I would have assumed that they would be. They're, they're, but little by little, they're getting there. Well, I'm in a very different state than you are, I think, because I certainly feel like at least half the state is awake to this because we probably have close to 60% of, you know, quote unquote, vaccinated in Ohio, 40% not. We have counties that are very low compliance rates. We have half the school districts didn't even institute masking. So we have a control group there in terms of masking efficacy. And, and that actually is interesting. I'll just let you know, you probably guess what I'm going to say. You know, the counties that did not institute masking did better overall in terms of infection rates, by the way. That's pretty clear in the statistics here in Ohio. But I do feel that, and even the folks who got the shot, I can tell you there, there are a lot of disgruntled people in that group. They got it because they felt like they had to, to maintain their income, to maintain their families, but they support anyone fighting the mandate. So of the folks who are in the group that got injected, there are a big chunk of them that do not like mandates and do not like what's happened here. And it's going to have a huge impact on our politics in the state. Well, that's wonderful. I mean, among my friends, and most of my friends were in their 30s and early 40s, they all buy into it completely. I oh. mean, for some reason, thank God they're still friends of mine. Yeah. And we don't let it to get in the way of our, our relationships. But it's sad to see your friends either mentally decline or physically decline or just succumbing. Uh, and I don't know anybody who's died yet or any, you know, heart attacks, but I have friends of friends, particularly friends of color, who have a considerable number of people that are dropping, you know, once a week almost. And I've heard of where one person lost nine family members 
you know, all in a very short period of time. And it kind of reminds me of the Sullivan brothers back in World War II, where I mean, there were five brothers on a, on a ship that sank. And then after that, then people woke up. So I believe personally that one personalized story, one personal story probably equals a thousand statistic, statistical deaths. So the more real, the more personal, I mean, if you ever met, you know, Stephanie DeGary, Maddie DeGary, Ernesto Ramirez, or any of these individuals who have either lost or have their child severely, severely injured. You, there's another man, his daughter was named Bubbles. And I'll tell you, these stories are haunting. And when you feel them and when you see them, it, it's, so, it's so moving. There's nothing like standing in front of that guy and actually literally feeling their pain. I mean, it's haunting. And so, and so we had to be careful to not become callous by the digital age, but then, but then also, you know, to, you know, to, to take the time to actually go out and see what's what's happening in the in the world today to tons of people. I I agree with you. In Ohio, Ohio Children's Health Defense, you may know this, had a gathering in May, and we did have vaccine injured people be on a panel to describe what they've been through. It's right. very powerful testimony. Right. Uh, one, one of those, her name was Danny. Danny also came to a meeting in Westerville, Ohio this last Saturday. I was happy to be there and, and discuss what we were doing with our cases. But man, I'll tell you, when Danny got up to talk and tell her story with her husband, and, and by the way, her husband and I had to hold her on each side of her to keep her standing because she would go into, you know, kind of uh, shuddering, uh, you know, in spasms because of her vax injury for the COVID vax. But she wanted to stand to address the crowd. Almost within minutes of her beginning to speak, you could see people start to cry. I've never seen it so powerfully affect an audience, but almost the entire room with about 100 people was in tears over this. And I hate to, I mean, I'm going to admit it myself too. I'm like, oh my God, you know, this woman is so brave to tell her story and to be willing to tell her story in public and, and the, just the sheer physical effort to get to the meeting. And, and the sheer physical effort to stand up and get through 15 minutes of, of talk, I think just really made an impact. You know, it's real. And I, and I think people need to realize these vaccine injuries are real. So, well, well, I'll tell you what, uh, Warner, I'll send you a link to this new video that came out yesterday on CHD, on Children's Health Defense, called Hands Off Our Children. And they actually splice in a few of those videos of those people in there with a very powerful song. It's only three minutes long. And so if you have the opportunity to forward that link along with this podcast, I think that would be very beneficial to drive home the point you and I just made right now. You know, that's a great idea. I will do that. I kind of wanted to talk to you about cases and we'll get to that. But I'm very interested in how artists are responding and other ways to respond to break through. I have a beautiful painting that an artist painted about the whole COVID crisis here in my office that we displayed at the CHD event in Columbus. Her name is Kelly Bickman. She contributed through art to tell the story. And then I'm also very interested in other ways to break through like humor and the comedians and how do we make fun of the ridiculous nature of what's going on nationally. I wondered if you thought about that. You mentioned music and the video. I mean, these are artistic expressions to break through. I mean, what do you think about that? How do we break through to people? 
I don't know. I mean, the only thing I can kind of harken back to was AIDS in the 80s when people basically, you know, kind of knew it was out there. They were talking about it. But when an artist named Patrick Cowley, who worked with a famous disco artist named Sylvester, died of AIDS, that was when that community woke up. And then a year or so later, the straight community woke up when Rock Hudson died. And so it'll take somebody, Justin Bieber right now with the, with the facial paralysis, if he'll have the courage to stand up and say what it is. Ringo Starr canceling the All-Star Tour, the Rolling Stones canceling their tour right now. Artists dying, that Bon Jovi guitarist, the wonderful drummer from the Foo Fighters and Forgive me for not remembering his name, but him dying, all of a sudden, it seems as though people are, are dying, you know, out of, out of the clear blue, you know, like Rodney Dangerfield had that joke in Easy Money that thanks to diet and exercise, more people are dying in perfect health than ever before. But now it, it's, it's really the better health you're in, the, the greater chances you have of dying from this it's because it's soccer players, tennis players, athletes. And they're mysteriously dying. And I even saw that the Major League Baseball has a disabled, you know, roster is higher than it's ever been. I haven't confirmed it yet. But I mean, if you look at the number of people that are benched right now, I don't know the exact term for it, please forgive me, but it's higher than ever. And so uh, truth like that is going to seep out. And the actuarial tables from the 40% increase in, in deaths will seep out. But it's not going to take one thing that's going to wake everybody up all at once. I always thought that it would be if people only knew this one piece of information or this one issue, then that would change everything. And, and none of it has, but it gets another little bit more and then it'll start to incrementally increase till we have what is sometimes called like the hundredth monkey syndrome, yeah, where everybody will start to, uh, to understand it. And we haven't really hit that critical mass yet, but we will. And or they'll just be gone. And that's a sad part, too. I mean, the more booster, boosters, I mean, how many times what if somebody said get a polio vaccine and then people catch polio anyway? And even if they took four polio vaccines and they got polio anyway, why, why would they why would they still stand behind it? And so to me, if, if somebody thinks that way, then not, nothing logical is going to get through ever. You know, people. People act on emotion and justify with logic. That's all it ever is. And that's how people can lie to themselves and twist and justify their behavior logically. And all the emotional information that we give them maybe hits them. What, what are these people who are vaccinated who just don't feel right at night before they go to sleep? I mean, they've got to know, you know, and are they going to do that to their children? I, I don't know. I mean, Hopefully that there's a, 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 that subliminal kind of half-waking moment that's going to make somebody change from the inside out, not from the outside in. Yeah, those are good observations. We happen to be in touch with pilots, both military and civilian. And I can tell you that we heard from a Southwest Airlines pilot that 1,000 of Southwest pilots are grounded because they've taken the shot and they've got complications. They've got heart arrhythmias or something going on that makes them medically uh, unable to fly. And they will not discuss the amount of pilots that are not able to fly. They wanna blame it on everything else, but it's really the shots 
that have caused this disruption in our airline industry. And, and the disruption is severe. I don't know if anybody's, you know, who's listening has been traveled recently, but your flights are getting canceled. You're not able to get from place to place. I mean, there's a lot of issues in travel right now. Yeah. And that brings me up to my, my latest pet project right now, which you participated in on that, on that the webinar was workman's comp availability yeah. for a vaccine injury, as long as it is work-related. And yeah. I believe that there's another statistic that could cripple these mandates and could force employers to take a second look at whether or not they want to uh, uh, you know, have these mandates. There was a recent court case out of Soda, and the judge found, quote, it is difficult for this court to imagine what could be more intrusive and more destructive to the employer-employee relationship than to require employees to forfeit their bodily autonomy in the name of maintaining their livelihood. So hopefully then, if a judge finally came out and said words like this, that means we're finally getting you know, into the, the, the core of in the American establishment, which has been you know, getting us away from the fringe. And another analogy or another memory for me as well is in the natural foods world, it took a long time for people to accept organic foods, accept vegetarian foods. And now, and every movie in the 90s, it seems like the, the best punchline in the movie was, oh, he's a vegetarian. And the whole, the whole theater erupted. And mm -hmm. so now we're finally at a place now where maybe anti-vaxxer will be a, a badge of courage, or maybe we'll be able to replace it with a more positive word, you know, so that people will eventually uh, see these truths, but they're going to trickle and they're not going to be all at once unless somebody got a vaccine on television and died right then and there. Somebody people liked, <laughs> you know, <laughs> then maybe, then maybe uh, that could be the miracle that would wake everyone up simultaneously. What do you see that can happen? We've seen various buckets of cases coming down the pipeline. You know, we started with the curfews and the shutdown cases. And then we moved on to the employees and then the university students, the school issues, the masking. You know, these are different buckets of cases. Now we're moving into workers' compensation. And, and we really need to figure out a way to compensate the vaccine injured whether it's suing the employer or, or workers' compensation or whatever, but what, what do you see as the pathways forward, if any, for the vaccine injured when they've been injured because, let's say, a school mandated the vaccine or an employer mandated it? Well, or the military, for that matter. Those are big questions. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> uh, first of all, the provider of the vaccine, the manufacturer, the U.S. government, the, the hospital, the pharmacist, the nurse, they're all immune under PrEP for EUA vaccines such as COVID or anthrax. So they cannot be touched at all. Mm -hmm. Now, there have been cases where if it's a non-EUA item that resulted in the death of a person or a patient, then there could be a state-based hospital negligence case against the hospital for not providing, you know, perhaps the ivermectin or other treatments and, and denying. But it, it, if it had anything to do, if the debt had anything to do with the COVID vaccine, then 
that's a federal case and it's preempted by CSIP for COVID. And the way to take a, a CSIP case forward is to file, wait eight or nine months. I always forget which one it is. And then if there's willful misconduct, then you can actually take it to the district, the DC district court and then file if there's willful misconduct, but it has to go in front of a panel of three judges and it has to be by clear and convincing evidence that the, um, there was a wrongdoer. So there is a possibility now with the vaccines that are already quote unquote, you know, approved or recommended, FDA approved, CDC recommended those vaccines. There is a different route and that's called a vaccine court. Children's Health Defense has on their website the, the list of all the attorneys who work in vaccine court, you can find one in your state to pursue a claim. The difference is it's a secret court, it's a closed court, but it does allow for attorney fees and other damages, whereas the CSIP cases don't allow for attorney fees and, and only allow for hospital or medical bills and lost wages, that's it. So there's no pain and suffering they pretty much foreclosed on the ability to sue in, in federal court for vaccine injuries that are on the childhood schedule or that are emergency youth authorized vaccines. As far as the military goes, there's a lot of people who are throwing what I consider to be Hail Marys to where they're hoping that a district court judge is going to rule on a vaccine mandate for military. But as far as I'm concerned, they have to go through the military process, the admin process first, the court martial process first, before any of those cases have any legs whatsoever. And so, so that's out. As far as a school mandating, well, that's a different story. You know, they, they can't be sued because it's their policy and they're promoting an emergency use authorized product. So the only way you could sue is for, you know, under contract theory or whether or not there's constitutional violations, denying them an education, de denying their, their religious rights. The only, the only cases so far really that across the board have pretty much kind of won have been religious exemption cases. Everything pr else pretty much, especially regarding EUA law or institutional protections that are not religious based have all pretty much lost. And and anything south of the Mason-Dixon line kind of automatically wins no matter how poorly it's written or no matter where the, the theory of recovery is. But anything north of the Mason-Dixon line, no matter how good the case is, no matter how well pled it is, will pretty much guarantee to lose no matter what they say. And yeah. so that is a very, very sad commentary on the honest state of what it is that we're going through right now. I, I want to let you know that we want a TRO for a physician doing his residency at Wright State University in Kettering Healthcare in Dayton. And I also want you to know, as a Democratic judge, you granted the TRO, Judge Rice down there. So it, I always tell people that story, you know, when I'm talking to him, because you get so Republican Democrat, and sometimes it's just old school liberal who believes in bodily autonomy and human rights, those basic theories of our country that pops up and will save the day. And this and Judge Rice saved the day for this young man. So one day to the next, we filed it on a Monday, had a ruling on a Tuesday, and he's, he got back to work. And it wasn't religious oriented? No, it was, it was religious oriented. Yeah, again, anything that has to do with religion is pretty much a guaranteed winner. 
because that's the one thing that is going to to kind of carry the day and has been this whole time. That's what we've been advising people. And we have religious issues in probably all 10 current cases that we have going right now. And then we also have different buckets of cases. We have that in unemployment cases and we have some EEOC cases going on as well. So we've got all these different buckets, but I do see religion as, as really the best pathway we've been able to, to find. I want to go back the childhood schedule. You mentioned that. And I think people sometimes get confused as to why there's this huge push to get these vaccines into babies. And we've seen the testimony this week. Some people have anyway. Uh, I mean, it's appalling to me that we're going to inject children who have 0% basic chance of dying from COVID with this product, which is merely a prototype, isn't fully developed, isn't fully tested. We don't, we have horrible information coming about the impact. Why? So if you would explain to the folks who listen to this, why so much pressure to get this in baby's arms? Well, I mean, there's money in it, mm -hmm. uh, number one. Number two, it kind of sets them on the treadmill of being in ill health. And, and that's beneficial. I mean, curing people is not a sustainable business model for pharma. And I mean, I think Robert Kennedy Jr. says that they make 600 million a year on the vaccines and they make, you know, 3 billion a year on the treatments for the diseases that the vaccines caused or something along those lines. I mean, why do they want to replace a child's natural immune system for something that they have literally zero chance of, of dying from. And what's even worse is this whole mRNA vaccine. It's kind of like a computer, a 3D printout. These, these vaccines can be punched out in a lab. They don't need to go through the normal vaccine, you know, with the inert virus and, and, and then let it grow and then culture and then, you know, process. It takes forever. It's much cheaper to just punch out this synthetic mRNA. And so what's even worse than the situation we're in now is that they're going to continue to roll out these experimental gene therapies or, you know, or whatever you want to call it, a vaccine, then do it. And so almost every new drug that's going to come out or new vaccine that's going to come out is going to be an mRNA vaccine. And so it's going to make it even worse for children. And you know, the thought, the theory is raised, and it's, I think, properly raised, as a theory at least, mm -hmm. that this is a deliberate genocide. And, and I, if, I mean, as a leader, as a heartless leader, or even a leader who thinks in terms of the future benefit for the future of life on earth and in the life of this country, and when you think about, you know, how water's going away and how we're overpopulated and, you know, how there's what's supposed to be 75 million seniors by the year 2030 or 2035. How are we supposed to provide for them? What about the food supply? And they're deliberately crashing our food supply, our supply chain even. Honeybees are dying in droves. They're replacing natural food with synthetic foods, synthetic meats with GMO blood in them and everything else. It's 
like completely disgusting. And so, you know, not only what are they trying to do to our own health to subvert our natural immune system, they're trying to subvert the planet's natural system as well. And so it, it, it seems to go along with, because they don't need, if everything's mechanized, they don't need a giant labor force to go into the, into the steel mills and the, and the coal mines like they used to. And so what do they need us for? And so in a way, you know, if you're some evil plotting, you know, screwball, you'll think everything you're doing makes sense. And there are people who have come out and actually said that this is the point of what we're trying to do. And I think once you can kind of get your arms around that concept anyway, not to accept it as being true, then everything that happens makes sense, you know, from, from their point of view. I think I am at that point as well, because if you look at it from, if you take it from that lens, everything makes sense. If you take it from the lens of human health and vibrant communities, none of it makes sense. But if you want to trash the economy, reduce the population, reset financially, get control of every individual through digital tracking and digital fencing, that makes sense to me. Just thinking it through logically, like you said. Because what we're doing now, I mean, I think that's one of the things a lot of people are struggling with is why are we doing this stuff? It doesn't cure anything. You still carry the disease, even if you've gotten a shot, you still get sick, you still die. You, it, children don't need it, yet we're going to give it to them. You know, very, very few people you can even imagine need the shot as protection anyway. Even then, I would have an argument that there's some other prophylactic and treatment options for them. So none of this makes any sense in terms of the structure of what we've experienced here, except monetary disaster, you know, reduction of population and control. I agree with you on that. How many cases do you think are out there? I've heard a couple of different numbers that are COVID related. Um, what are they? What, well, uh, one of the numbers I heard was 15,000 cases around the country, but I heard that a big chunk of those, like 10,000 of those are the business insurance claims against business insurance for the lockdowns and shutdown of business. But that still leaves 5,000 cases that are, are related to other issues, school cases, employment cases, those types of things. I, do you have any idea where we are nationally and what kind of numbers do you, have you seen out there in terms of the numbers of cases? Well, if I were to give a rough ballpark, I would say between three and 500 active cases. Oh, is and, that right? And I would say that that's maybe even on the higher end, cases get dumped pretty quick based on standing, uh, you know, which is kind of like the, the trap door, the spring, the spring door to, to get the case out. So you don't have to rule on the evidence. You don't have to rule on the science. Science, arguing science in a courtroom has kind of been a dead bang loser because no matter how good our experts are, they'll bring in experts that are, you know, higher credential, they're government employees, they're well-respected, you know, and all, and, you know, authorities, and they published all this stuff, you know, and so science has been, been another loser, and so the cases get dumped quickly, and, and I mean, as far as COVID vaccine mandates, mask mandates, PCR mandates, I mean, I've been keeping track of every single 
case that's filed on any of on those three areas for the past two years and i have not seen anywhere near the number in the thousands and in fact you and i both have files of all these cases and i mean i don't see them you and i have shared information i don't see that number anywhere approaching the thousands and <clears throat> children's health defense has 50 active cases right now, 35 of which are Gardasil related, and another 15 active cases either involve mandatory vaccinations or masks or PCR tests. <laughs> I, I'm beginning to understand why we're standing out a little bit as a firm down here because we have three against school districts, we've got five against universities, we've got five companies sued. I imagine there's a lot of EEOC cases that are in the administrative process. We've just gotten our first 90-day letters on a bunch of those cases. So we'll probably take on 20 to 40 EEOC cases on religious and medical exemption. We filed our first one of those today. We, we, that's about where we are right now as a firm. Certainly, we're one firm. <laughs> and that certainly puts you in the forefront, and that's why you're one of the more outspoken leaders, I mean, uh, with a national reputation for for being fighters and then one of the first people to the rodeo, so to speak, as well. So, you know, there are other firms that are doing quite well that are pushing around the country. Aaron Siri is one attorney who's pushing hard around the country. As Aaron, well. And Aaron has, has done a great job with the uh, FOIA, the public records, uh, federal records requests. I mean, that's been phenomenal. And, and that's, is that done in conjunction with Children's Health Defense? That case is not. Okay. Yeah, it's phenomenal that he pushed forward in that area just to get those Pfizer records out. Also uh, had a, a tandem case on the Booth v. Bowser case, which was the minor's consent law for children 11 years old and over. And so Children's Health Defense had a separate case, Booth v. Bowser. They had the Major v. Bowser and that case got consolidated and we won and we were able to keep Washington DC from allowing minors to consent to vaccination, COVID vaccination or any vaccination without parental consent. And right now, as we speak in California, Senate Bill 866 has been on the floor to try and allow 12 and over to get vaccinated for any vaccine without parental consent. And so uh, Weiner and Pan, who brought the bill forward, are now amending it to perhaps allow 15 and over to make it a little more palatable to, to have them get mandated, you know, to get vaccinated without any parental control. I mean, they're definitely driving a wedge in the heart of the, of the family unit. And it's just one more thing. There's fortunately the national law, the Vaccine Act. National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act requires that a parent be given a vaccine injury statement prior to their child being vaccinated. And that was one of the winning arguments in Washington, D.C., and that would definitely apply in California. Uh, and then the other exciting thing about Washington, D.C., is that they made it so that if you had a religious exemption, if your parents had a religious exemption for you and the child got vaccinated, they kept the record blank. 
so the parents would not know that the child was vaccinated only for those with religious exemptions. And so they kind of handed us a bone with that one, but that just shows how outrageous they are. And I believe that they're trying to, you know, mandate more vaccines coming this fall. So there's what we need. We, we, we don't need more battles. We need more soldiers. We need more generals. We need more people to stand up and fight. And hopefully what you and I are doing is enabling other attorneys to be armed with the type of arguments that are successful. You and I both have pleadings on file so that if somebody had a similar case, we could forward them the pleadings, the template, the order, the judge's ruling, so that they would be able to then tailor make their arguments. And, and the other thing that I've been really cautious about too is that there's no way to judge ahead of time whether or not the argument's gonna be any good. It all, it all matters on, you know, the luck of the draw and on the judge and on the specific case and maybe even on, the, on what sign the moon is in that day. I don't criticize any case no matter how it's brought because that could be the winning formula. If I censor them and say, look, you're out of your mind, you can't bring a case like that, and then it wins, then I'll feel really bad. So go ahead and try it. That's what I say. I, that is, that's wonderful advice. There's an old movie called Fast, Cheap, and Out of Control, which you've got to have, you've got to have edge dwellers who will get out there and try a theory and so we can figure out what's succeeding and failing. So I think you're exactly right there. We managed to gather a group of a little bit over 50 attorneys that are on a kind of an internal chat. We're just trying to share everything we have with whoever wants it or needs it. And we've been talking with people all over the country. And I know you guys at Children's Health Defense, you've got a, a big group of attorneys as well. How many attorneys do you have that are interested in this area? Well, again, Children's Health Defense only has so many staff attorneys, mm. of which I am not. I'm actually an outside counsel but still senior counsel to Children's Health Defense. Right. However, my email list is about 160 attorneys that I send pleadings out to whenever an order comes out or whenever a new, a new angle comes out. And I would guess that maybe the numbers double or triple that, especially if you consider that certain firms may have multiple people and I'm only sending out to one of them. Maybe there's a thousand attorneys out there right now. I mean, to me, the sharks are only going to come out when there's money. And that's why I'm shocked that employment cases or workman's comp cases haven't gone further because those are the ones where the, you know, they can the drive-by, the drive-by lawsuits can happen. That's been curious to me. It's the same problem that we have in our profession as you see in society at large they've been really convinced that there is no argument against this, that this is the way to go, take the shot. I've been a little bit surprised by it because of the extreme violations of, of civil rights that we're seeing it in every part of this and extreme violations of power relationships and breakdown of the separation of powers. Uh, do you have an explanation for why our profession has been a little bit slow off the mark when I would have thought it would really have led this? Uh, wh why do you think that our profession did not see through this in general? 
Well, I mean, just looking at your image right now, for those of you who are watching us on video, you'll see that there's a Werner Mendenhall standing out in front of all these bricks and a wall behind him. <laughs> and just like, and in fact, it even looks like the Pink Floyd cover back there. So everybody else is just a, a brick in the wall. And we're definitely part of the establishment as lawyers. I believe you and I both became lawyers, um, you know, in our later years <laughs> or whatever you want to call it. I was 40 when I went to law school, right. you know, so I already had experience. And to me, you know, most lawyers do not look healthy. Do, they do not think for themselves. They're money oriented. They're, they're, they may be corrupted morally. You know, sorry for anybody who's listening to I hope I didn't offend anybody. Mm. But, you know, they're definitely not the, the hang loose crowd. And, and the judges are even more of an exaggeration of that establishment. And so, you know, to, to, to convince them that, you know, the fringe is actually right and that everything that they knew from the beginning or entrusting science or trusting their career or trusting their chosen path and mindset in life, especially at their age or at their, you know, maybe it's not a numerical age, but everybody's busy and and those attorneys don't really have a lot of time to to think for themselves but i i do want to get back to a, a point that kind of illustrates this more than anything right now we're, we're starting to see a lot of mothers who who don't want to have their child vaccinated mm -hmm. and uh, the ex you know he wants to have the child vaccinated and their marital settlement agreement says that they both have equal rights on medical treatments and judges are just looking at these mothers like they're out of their minds and that they're endangering the child and then they'll and they'll even go against the law or even go against the settlement agreement to to give the custody or to allow the father in certain instances to vaccinate the child or to take the child away from the mother. And these things are horrific. And, and you knew it was coming. If a judge has the audacity to rule against the law and against the marital settlement agreement to stand up for the, the right to be vaccinated, then I guess they're capable of, of anything almost, right? Yeah. You and I remember Vietnam, and I was thinking a lot about how Vietnam uh, and the anti-war protesters looked at, you know, the ones who believed in it, in the war, and the ones who were against it. And I, and I saw a lot of parallels between vaccination in Vietnam. And in Vietnam, it was your duty to serve your country. In vaccines, it's your duty to protect your children. In Vietnam, it's, if not communism will spread, without herd immunity, disease will spread. Vietnam protesters should be thrown out of the U.S. Vaccines, parents are unfit if they don't vaccinate it. Our generation fought, you fight, our generation vaccinated, you must too. Some will be sacrificed, a small percentage will die, and we must make an example of draft dodgers and ridicule anti-vaxxers. So really, it's that same, that same fight all over again, that same dichotomy over again. And, you know, I mean, I remember, you know, clearly, you know, we had a lot of hippies around where I lived. I lived near the Sunset Strip in L.A. back then. And those people were definitely on the other side of the straight, silent generation. And I mean, there was no way ever that anybody on either side was going to sway over. It's only in hindsight that people 
began to understand that maybe there was something else bigger than that and that maybe they were right. But people are entrenched in their, in their and, and people really have a need to always be right, and especially if a person's in a position of authority, then they get off on being right all the time. And so it's, it's critical to keep an open mind. And I keep wondering what are the different angles that are going to convince somebody. And I was thinking the lead-ins are going to be the amount of vaccine doses on the CDC's recommended list, that the vaccines are liability-free, the true number of deaths and injuries, in other words, that VAERS only uh, puts out 1% or so, and all the new vaccines coming out down the pipeline. And so if you give these people these little tidbits to chew on in digestible bites, hopefully it'll digest rather than the way the news matches up information like with baby food, where it goes in and then it comes out exactly the same way seconds later. And yeah. that, that's kind of a programming and they're, mm-hmm. and they're really treating us like fools and people are buying it hook, line and sinker. And the more medications people take and the older people get, and the more persuaded the younger people are by media and being cool and being accepted, then our fight is bigger, is bigger than ever from that point of view. So every little bit helps every new person who, who is help, helping to persuade everyone who is armed with the information and stands up for the rights. And, and oftentimes those who see somebody close to them keel over and die then those are going to be the people that are going to become the advocates. And just as somebody who had been a gold star mother or whatever would have have done. So hopefully then we're going to keep spreading the information. This podcast is critical for for that. Your, Your lawsuits are critical. Children's health defense work is critical. It's education. It's lobbying. It's it's litigation. It's all about the information and and getting to as many people as possible so that you don't feel alone. Ray, I think that's a great cap for our hour discussion. I appreciate your talking with me tonight. I appreciate all of the work that you do to get us attorneys updates on cases. 